<sighs> Good morning, everyone. Are we willing to grow? Ready to change? Good. So am I. That's good, thanks. Well, the Olympics are over, and uh, when I was a kid, we had a puzzle, a big puzzle. Now, when I was a kid, this was when they made puzzles the right way. Like now, you make puzzles, and every single one of them is like the si one of two shapes. They either got two knobbies or two innies, and that's it. <laughs> but back in the day when they made puzzles, there would be like really weird shapes, and this was, it's like a, it was a huge cartoon thing of the Olympics. Trivia question, who knows where the Summer Olympics were in 1984? Los Angeles. Very good. I'm not sure who said that. Los Angeles. So it's a scene of Los Angeles, so there's plenty of smog. But um, the, thing I like about, um, the thing I like about puzzles is some of the life lessons, surprisingly, you can learn from it. My family was big on puzzles. Every year we'd go on vacation, we'd dump out the 1,000-piece puzzle on a huge table and spend all that time flipping over the pieces, which honestly is probably the thing that I'm best at, and uh, you know, just have a good time. And the thing is, you know, my life is kind of like that puzzle, where I've got sections of it that are put together, and then I've got sections of it where I'm not even sure i got all the pieces. <laughs> and I mean, it, could be, it could be anything. It could be, you know, my job's going really well, and you know, things are good with the family, but you know, who knows what's going to happen in five years from now or ten years from now. Or even with the, within the family, there's different health situations that might arise that we have to keep an eye on. And there's always some kind of thing to put together, it seems like, in life. And I have this habit of hanging out in those areas of my life where the pieces are put together. And I'm either choosing to be ignorant of the areas where the puzzle pieces aren't put together... Or I just simply am not aware, I haven't really paid attention, don't know where maybe something might be falling apart. And one piece of our life's puzzle that we need to be aware of is healing. Today we're talking about are you ready to be healed? And healing helps put together some of those pieces of the puzzle of our life. Before we get, um, I'm sure everybody read, or most of you I'm sure read, or following in the, the Lent reading schedule, and if you are, you do it better than I am. Um, we, we were in the, all the way up to, uh, from Matthew 27 to Mark 10 today. And before I get too far into it, I want to give you kind of a big picture, the edge pieces, the big picture of what's happening in the Gospels. In the Gospels, if you look, there's, a, um, there's four Gospels, and if you look, there's just a little Bible information for you if you're not aware of this. There's a passage in Ezekiel that talks about this creature that's got four faces. It's got the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. And many Bible scholars will tell you that those actually line up to the four Gospels, where Matthew is the king, which is the lion, Mark is the servant, which is the ox, Luke, make sure I get these in order, Luke is where we see how Jesus is a man, the face of the man, and then John is, t teaches us about the deity of Christ, which is the eagle. So if we look at that big picture, and then we study Matthew going into Mark, at the end of Matthew in 27, it's, or 28, it talks about going forth and making disciples of all nations. So when we're introduced, sometimes, you know, I've been a Christian so long, sometimes I don't, especially with the Gospels, I don't think about it as freshly as I ought to. But that Gospel of Matthew is really our introduction into who 
Jesus was. If you were to read the Bible, you'd never read the Bible before, and you read it from page 1 to page however many, 1800, and you cross over into that New Testament, that book of Matthew is an introduction into who Christ is and what he wants for us. Right at the end, he says, we need to be making disciples. And then you look in the first, it's interesting, you look in the first 10 chapters of Mark, and there's just healing after healing after healing. Mark is a very, it's the shortest gospel. It's the quickest gospel to read, very small. And it's interesting to note, there's, at least 11 specific cases of Jesus healing somebody. And if you go to the general cases where it says something like, he went out to the crowds and, he, and they brought as many as were sick they brought to him and he healed them. It, that number goes up to like 20 or something. It's, it's all about healing. So if we want... It, okay, Mark is that gospel of being a servant. If we want to be a disciple of God, we need to be a servant. If we want to be a servant, we need to be healed, the way those line up. So we're going to talk about healing today. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, what kind of healing do we need? It says, when Jesus heard it, he says unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. Then he says this. So he's talking about the physical things. Then he says this, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So the healing that he's really talking about, he says the physical things are evident, and those people need a physician. But I came to call, not call the righteous, those who think they're righteous, I came to call sinners to repentance. So the type of healing that we need is a spiritual healing. You see, when I look at my life, and if I think, you know what, my, uh, my family isn't really going the way I want it to, or if I look at, um, you know, my health, and I'm trying to overcome... Um, some issue with my health. I'm looking at the outside. There's a problem over there. And every time that happens, God always points that back into us, into our heart. So our problems, what we think, what we, think we may need healing from might be, I need healing in my family. Or I'm, I need healing, I, I need physical healing. But God points me inward. Something spiritual needs healing. I think God uses those things in my life, a job situation, whatever it is. He uses that in my life not to say, here's this problem and pray to me so that you know, I'll fix that problem for you. It's an issue with me that he wants to address. If I think something's a problem that's bringing up a red flag, God's just calling my attention to something, some type of character that he wants to change in me. Because what happens is this. Let's say I have an issue with my job. Many of you know that that's a real life example. <laughs> Let's say I have an issue with my job. And I'm like, you know what? You know, ends aren't being meet. We have some issues, you know. <laughs> and what God does is he says, well, he asks me about my motivation about that. He says, well, why is that so much of a concern? How much are you trusting me for that? So now the issue doesn't really become what my job is. It becomes about my response to it. See, what I find motivates me is different than the things that motivated a guy like Paul or Mark or Luke or any of the disciples. What motivates me, I find, is different than what motivates them. In the men's breakfast yesterday, we talked about spiritual maturity. And how do you gauge spiritual maturity? 
And I don't mean how do you look at somebody and determine whether or not they're spiritually mature. What I mean is how, how can I know that I'm spiritually mature? And one of the things we talked about, the main thing we talked about there is um, John 3.30 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So the less of me and the more of him is how I can gauge my spiritual maturity. So I look at my motivation, I compare it to some passages of the Bible, and I can see that my motivation needs improvement. Here's another good example that I came up with the, uh, with the men's group, self-indulgence. Here's what I do. I'm a family guy, I got four kids, right? I come home from, well, the last eight weeks has been jury duty, but I come home from jury duty, and you know Ethan wants to play, and gotta do the laundry, and got to help with dinner, and got to get the food. And I do all this stuff to help support the household so that after the kids go to bed, I can watch my movie. And I do that stuff so, you know, after the kids go to bed, we eat a nice healthy dinner. So after they go to bed, you know, I can eat my candy. And what I find, interestingly, is that I'm doing these things for the family with a motivation of a self-indulgence afterwards. So, yeah, I might have a great attitude, and the kids are going up great, and there's no problem, but, you know, behind it all is self-indulgence. Recently, I came across uh, a piece of artwork from the 1300s. It was uh, Dante's Inferno. Did anybody ever have to read Dante's Inferno? It's very interesting. Um, I, I found it very captivating because they've got, like, these different layers and stuff. And one of the layers was self-indulgence, and, boy, was that convicting. Because it talked about gluttony. Okay, people look at me, oh, yeah, like gluttony's a problem for you. But it's the motivation. It's the desire to indulge myself with food that's the issue. It's, um, what else? What, uh, hoarders was another one. P that's like materialism. If we think about, if we get more stuff, we want to get stuff. Wasters is another one. And I think a good example of today would be... Um, not being very environmentally minded. You know, dumping toxic waste into a river would be an example of being a waster. And, and lust. I mean, you, we don't have cable TV in my house. <laughs> to, you've seen the shows. I mean, obviously, lust is an issue in our society today. All these things that, that feed self-indulgence. What I find I need healing from isn't my job situation. What I find I need healing from is maybe some attitude of self-indulgence. Well, if I had a better job... I would have more prestige. Gosh, I've got all this education. How come it's not cashing in? Well, what I need healing from is my own heart. The next list he has down there, this guy, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know his name, but it was a good picture. He had, he listed wrath, losing your temper, vengeance, hatred, bitterness. That's another level. That's another heart condition that we need healing from. Whereas I saw that self-indulgence, I saw that, you know, self-indulging thing. The next level he had, he called that violence. What I see that as is really forcing yourself above others. Not having self-control, not having the temperance. We need healing from these kinds of things. So, how do we get healing? Well, I think the first step in Mark 10, 51, this is blind Bartimaeus. In Mark 10, 51, we need to know what's wrong. We need to know what's wrong with us. This is what it says. It says, Jesus answered. There's a blind man. They're telling, he's calling out for Jesus. They're telling him, be quiet. 
Finally, Jesus says, no, bring him up to me. And he comes up, and Jesus said unto him, what wilt, that thou, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He approached him knowing what his problem was. And interestingly, he had immediate healing as a result. And we're going to look at some passages later where we'll see, you know, people think one thing's the problem. He's got to ask a few questions. Gets to the core of the issue. Then the healing can start. We're going to look at that passage a little later. But when we approach God for the healing of our heart, we need to know what's even wrong with us. The next issue, and this is the biggest point right here, we need to know what's wrong and we need to approach with faith. As I mentioned with blind Bartimaeus, he approached Jesus, he knew what was wrong, and he was 100% certain that Jesus was going to be able to heal it, and his healing was immediate. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40 and 41, here's another one with the leper. There came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. There's a lot of faith that this leper had. I mean, lepers were put into colonies and kept out and generally weren't seen in the, in the public arena. And he comes forth with 100% assurance that Jesus can heal him. And he's healed immediately. See, here's my, here's my issue with my problem of self-indulgence and the reason why that pattern of self-indulgence just seems to keep coming up in my life. I'm not really sure God can heal that because that's me, you know. See, that's my problem. You know, that's not... You know, it's on me to really kind of overcome that. So when I approach God in prayer about these issues, I don't know if I'm really coming to him with full faith, saying, I know God heals this. That's not my attitude. My attitude is, you know what the Bible says, it really shouldn't be like this, and I really need to get my heart right, and I'm just not doing it, and I just keep sin, repent, and sin, repent, much like what Brad was talking about the other week. And I'm not approaching with that attitude of 100% assurance that God heals that. No one was ever healed without faith. Anywhere in the Gospels, no one was ever healed without faith. In fact, lack of faith, as I mentioned earlier, is a problem. It's a problem. It makes Jesus have to work a little harder on your heart to get the healing. Let's look at uh, Mark 9, verse 19 first. He answers him. This, there's a guy whose uh, son has an unclean spirit. It keeps tearing at him. And he asks Jesus to heal. Hey, can you heal my son? And, and Jesus says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now, would you ever think that Jesus would respond to your request for healing in that way? Well, he's not responding to the guy's request for healing. He's responding to the gentleman's lack of faith is what he's responding to. Let's bring up the next part of that. It's verse 21 through 24. And he asked his father, and so Jesus asked the father of the boy, how long is it ago since this came unto him? Okay, let's stop there for a second. Why does Jesus need to know that? Does he need to know how long this kid has been sick in order to heal this kid? Thank you. I, I love having Marge in the audience. She's the best. No, he doesn't. Of course not. 
Who else in Scripture has he ever asked that question to? Nobody. So, like, why is he asking that? And he said, of a child. And he doesn't stop there. See, I think when Jesus asked that question, he hit something in this father's heart of a child. And oftentimes, it casts him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. See, it's, I think, that last phrase that Jesus was trying to get to. I mean, sometimes we read the Bible, we blow through some of these passages. Let me read that again. How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it casts him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. He's killing his kid. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us, help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. See, now... Jesus knows his heart is at least ready to hear that concept of needing to have faith. If thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway, see that just broke him. Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. See, he had to break down those walls. He, the father didn't really know what was, what was wrong. He had to know what was wrong. And interestingly, there's another passage we won't go to, but there's another passage with a gentleman by the name of, my Bible says the pronunciation is Jairus, and he has a 12-year-old girl who's sick. And apparently she either gets worse or dies. And, you know, a servant comes up to Jairus and he says, you know what, don't bother the master anymore, your daughter's dead. And again, Jesus has to work and work and work to get past even that death or that appearance of death is not enough to stop what Jesus can do. And it's interesting, in the two main examples in the first ten chapters of Mark of somebody not having faith that Jesus can heal as a father. Now that, first of all, I'm going to definitely drive the point home to us fathers in, this, in the congregation today that we have control, I'll say issues, but as the head of the household, we have this desire to take care of of our children, and to take care of our family. And we have to be careful that that control doesn't override our faith. For everyone in the congregation, let me put it this way, we all have a desire in our life to control our situation and to push faith out of the equation. Because that's what's happened in these two cases. That father, when you read these passages on your own in the future this week, look at that father as a way of you, you, the part of your heart that is managing and controlling your life and where that may override the faith and push the faith out of your heart. I mentioned before about the sin-repent cycle and the self-indulgence issues that I think many of us wrestle with and how Brad, I don't know if it was last, I think it was two weeks ago, was talking about how if you're in this cycle and you're stuck with sin and repent and sin and repent and how that just chips at your faith. It just chips at your faith. Well, let me put forth this daring, bold statement. I would submit to you, if you're stuck in that cycle, you don't have faith. Maybe enough to know that the repentance will wash your sin clean from that. But if you're stuck in that cycle, your faith has already been chipped away. And if you're like me in that situation, you need, we need faith to overcome that. 100% confidence that even if the issue seems to lie with us, we can release it to God and be healed. 
All right, our next point is this. I'm not sure what's on the screen. Yes. Healing comes in unexpected and unexplainable ways. One of the challenges I had in preparing this message is, you know, how do you describe healing when it's supernatural? I mean, I'll make an attempt at it, but it's unexplainable. But the other element to it is that it's unexpected. It will come in an unexpected way. Let's look at Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. This is great. He took the blind man. Okay, this blind man's got a couple of friends. They know Jesus can heal him. So his friends lead this blind man over to Jesus. This is what happened. He took the blind man by the hand. We're going to go phrase by phrase. Took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I kind of see men as trees walking. (laughs) I thought he was Jesus. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. What in the world? (laughs) I thought Jesus could just touch something or with the Roman centurion he could just say a word and somebody could be healed what in the world is this I think healing one of the lessons we can learn from this healing can come in unexpected ways I'm sure his friends who brought him over to Jesus were expecting a you know a bing (laughs) he's healed see we told you Jesus could do it in fact I'm not quite sure that part of this passage might not be, part of the way that this happened might not be for the friends who brought him to Jesus, who had an expectation of how the healing should go. You know, we have expectations even of our own selves of how we think Jesus should be healing us, let alone people who are, oh, you know what, you have a problem with that, you know, Jesus will heal you if you do this. Yeah, well, Jesus is going to take that person, take him out of town and spend a little time with him. Even though you're not going to heal that person the same way he healed you. It can come in unexpected ways. That passage, I still look at it think, why do you have to do that twice? And I think another thing that we learn from that is we learn what happens with partial healing. If we start getting healed and we start drawing closer and things start happening for us and then we kind of jump off the bandwagon, well... Our vision and our meaning our understanding of who God is is going to be partial. It's going to be incomplete. You kind of see, you kind of understand some things, but you won't have that clear vision. This is interesting. He led the guy out of town, away from people. I'm under the impression I I could be wrong, but I'm under the impression if he led him out of town, that the friends aren't with him anymore, because it was Jesus who led the guy out of town, not the friends. So now, when the guy's outside of town, the first thing he's looking for is people. And he can't see them clearly. Sometimes when we want to get healed, when we're looking for healing, it's going to come down to just us and Jesus alone. I mean, we need other people. Perfect example, the guy who got healed by being dropped through the roof. I mean, that's another great story. We couldn't, just not enough time to touch on it today, but we need other people. In fact, if you look through these, through these 10 chapters, you'll find kind of three categories of people. You'll find people who approached Jesus 
with every confidence that he would heal them, and so they bring themselves to him, and he heals them immediately. And then you'll see a class of people, like I said, about those fathers who aren't really sure. They might have some control issues, and it takes a little while. He's got to work on them. And there's another class of people who need to be healed so badly that they need other people to help them, to bring them. Like the guy who was lame who went through the roof, like this blind man who Jesus didn't walk past his way like he did with blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus heard about Jesus coming and started calling out because he couldn't see where he was. Well, here's this blind guy who wants some healing. Jesus isn't passing by his way. He needed people to help him out. So we need people to help us out, but sometimes that healing is just going to come between us and him. When I uh, was working uh, with the previous company, Benjamin Moore, one of the trainings I had was conflict resolution. It was very interesting. I was sitting at a table next to uh, a guy I wish I'd kept in touch with him, Bob Nowicki. He was a great guy, another plant manager. We're both plant managers, and we're sitting at this table, and this guy is bringing forth these principles that you're supposed to use for conflict resolution, and Bob is one of the most down-to-earth guys you'll ever meet, and he's pretty much scoffing at what this guy has to say. Because, you know, some of it seems kind of like psychobabble to guys like me and Bob who are really, we're where the rubber meets the road. We're in the plant. We're working with, you know, blue-collar guys, guys who work harder than we do for a living. And so here comes somebody trying to say that these principles are magical and they'll work for your conflict resolution. And he and I are kind of going back and forth, and we're arguing, and we're arguing, and he starts he starts talking, and as he's talking, he's coming over to us, and he puts his hand on the table, and he approaches us, and he kind of deals with the way that we're communicating with each other. And what's interesting about that, the principle he taught us is the more difficult the conflict, the closer the mediator has to get to resolve it. The more difficult the conflict, the closer the mediator has to go to resolve it. The greater the conflict I have in my heart between unbelief and faith the closer and the harder Jesus has to work to get to my heart to get that healing. I mean, I still have to let him in. I mean, we're talking about the situation that I'm talking about is, is people like me who, you know, I'm desiring to grow. You know, I want to be healed, but there's just certain, certain walls up there. I'm battling between the faith and the unbelief. And Jesus just kind of keeps working on my heart, trying to get closer and closer and closer until finally his touch or his word does its work. See, here's the unexplainable part of the healing. Jesus has to do it. I I don't really know how to describe it any more than that. You have to let him get as close to your heart as possible for this healing. You have to know what it is. We have responsibilities as the managers of our own life. We have to know what our problem is. We have to take it to Jesus. We have to have faith that it will be healed. That's where our job ends. When the healing happens, I mean, it's just Jesus that does it. Let me close with this, with this concept. I think this will help a lot of people in here because it, helped, it really made a difference in my life. Healing isn't the end. Healing is a step in the process of being a disciple. Remember the border pieces from the puzzle that we do first so that we get a big picture of what's happening and how when we did that overview of the Gospels earlier, We were talking about we need to be a servant if we want to be a disciple. If we want to be a servant, we need to be healed. I think when we're stuck in that sin-repent cycle, sin-repent cycle, we're so focused on trying to get healed from that. You know, if we ever got it, we wouldn't even know what to do with ourselves from there. Where do I go from here? You see, when Jesus heals people, 
in these first 10 chapters of Mark, many times he's giving instruction after that. When he healed the leper, he said, go to the temple and make an offering to the priest as a testimony. He, didn't, he said, don't tell anybody, but go to the temple and do this. And of course, the guy was just so glad he got healed, he ended up publishing it everywhere. So, you know, he didn't exactly follow what Jesus wanted him to do because he was so excited. But other cases, hey, you know what? Don't tell anybody this happened. Uh, the example I wanted to say, the, the crazy guy, I think it's called Gadarenes. Are you think I'm talking about me? Or is that... The crazy, the wild man, it calls him. The wild man who runs around naked and lives in the tombs where all the dead people are. And Jesus goes onto the shore and he runs out to him. And he, like they can't even keep chains on him because he goes so crazy. He's got such strength. He breaks the chains. And Jesus heals this guy. And the guy's like, you healed me. Let me go on your boat with me. Let me follow you. Let me be your disciple. And Jesus says, you can be my disciple. This is what you do. Go into the town and tell everyone what happened. So he gives the guy instruction. That guy follows it. That's a great story. That guy follows his instruction and great things happen in that town. See, healing is a step in the process. If we think gluttony or lust or materialism is our problem and we're focused on getting that problem resolved, first of all, it's probably not going to get resolved because you're thinking about your problem. You're not thinking about Jesus. It's another thing I've learned. But that healing is a step in the process of becoming a servant of becoming a disciple. What's our next slide, Dave? Give me a hand. His word and his touch. Talked about that. The healing comes from his word and his touch. Let's move again. This is what happens. I always say this. I say that at least once every time I preach. This is what happens when you have backup preacher man. What's the next, what's the next slide? Simple truth challenge. Great. Is there a slide after that? Let's see that one. We're ready for the challenge. <laughs> Okay, there we go. I, all I had to do was look at the presentation before service. I didn't even do that. I'm, I'm the one who sent them the slides for crying out loud. There's a whole process going on here of becoming a disciple. That's what our church is about. We want to see you become a disciple. You need to believe you need to know what your problem is. You need to believe that Jesus can heal it. No matter how many years of your life this sin has been meshed in with who you are. No matter how long it's been, it doesn't matter. You need to believe. That might be where you are. Or you need to be healed. You need to take that step. Once you have that faith, now you need to approach him. Maybe you need to approach him in prayer. Look, there's something else we said at the men's group which was um, the challenge on the men's group. I said, I got a challenge for the men's group. And the guy's like, oh, not another challenge. We get that every week from the pastor. Our challenge was for a week, and I ha- I've been trying to do this. I was trying to do this the weeks before the men's group. I couldn't even do this challenge, but it's a good one. For a whole week, do something that's God-indulging instead of self-indulging. Now, what does that mean? That might, be, that might mean a, a Bible study, or reading, it might, you might be a writer, you might be a musician, an artist in some way. It might mean going for a walk where you can pray and where you can meditate. It might mean staying in your house where you can meditate and think about things and really spend some time in prayer. But that type of activity will help open that door for the healing. So maybe you need to believe, maybe you need to be healed. 
but we want everyone to be a disciple. Wherever you are in this process, if you're stuck in one of these loops, this is what we can do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for your word. It's just an amazing, uh, it's an amazing book, the Bible, and I pray that it would have its effect on our hearts, that, Lord, you would reveal to us what areas of our heart need to be healed. Like me, we may be hanging out in those areas where the puzzle pieces are put together. Just show us, Lord, where we need to be changed. I pray that if there's any, anyone here who, who's struggling with having the faith of overcoming whatever it is they need healing from, that you would work on their hearts, Lord, that you would draw closer to them. I pray that each of us, Lord, would seek in our life to walk with you and be your disciple. I ask your word, Lord, this morning to have free course in our heart, that it would reign in our heart, and that you just give us the love that you give us, we would give to others, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.